0: I'm E.
1: I'm Rob. And I'm Skyler. <laughs>
0: A.K.A. Sky Zoo.
2: A.K.A. Sky Zoo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome to the next movement. we Brooklyn
2: Brooklyn at? we Brooklyn Brooklyn Where- As true as you and me, there's a mayor on every block. Singing the dramatics and playing with ready Rock. Usually it seemed like he waiting to catch a drop. You clinging to his habits, he saving you from a spot. Round of wave work, jewels in the ground. Hit the pater dirt, love is love, you in good hands. Dennis Haysburg, openly protected by who you be neck and neck with you looking over like look at what they done made work circle in the block i know your call before you start Put your phone down. Pierre more to the heart. Word to all of that. Love it or leave it. We afforded that. 20 D batteries. Count them wrong. them back. <laughs> Attracted to what you see on the screen, but then thinking you could recast it to keep what you need. Keep it cool. Shit is cold. You don't need me to leave Word to God, there's nothing to let you be who you be. I mean for real though. There's a fire selling the sky. Thirty floors up, burn the vibe clear out the sky. I had a view worth a mill, but views get for real and views you get killed when you ain't hit a buy. Memories. So there's a fire selling. Sky
0: Skyzoo, it's a pleasure to have you here with us tonight. We're so appreciative of your time. It's an honor for real. So there's so many things we want to talk to you about, but let's start with the new album, All the Brilliant Things. This is such an amazing record for so many different reasons, which we'll definitely get into. But I wanted to start with the structure of the album. I've heard you say in a recent interview that you structured it in a way um, on purpose in in terms of not having a lot of features on it, you know, not having a lot of big name producers. You didn't want uh, to take away from the narrative. You wanted the narrative to be the story. And, yeah. you know, there are a lot of stories being told on all the brilliant things, which is not unlike any of the project that you've done. So with that said, what do you hope people take away from this record? What are the messages you hope listeners are receiving?
1: Well, first off, before we even get into that, uh, I appreciate the words that you set it off with, you know, how you feel about the project and, and um, just, you know, everything that you said with it. I appreciate that. And when we did the name call, when we did the roll call and all that, I felt left out. It was E. Rob, I had to give my government, you know what I mean? So that's why I came on, like, I'm Skyler. Like, I had to give my government, and then we got in disguise. But, um, <laughs> nah, um, what I want people to get from the record, um, some type of information, like being informed and some light being shined on them. Because the record is for people, records for everybody, but if you're listening to it and you're from the neighborhoods that I'm talking about and that I'm representing and you relate, you may not have realized that these things were going on. if you're in the industry you may not have realized that these things was going on as far as our culture and things being taken from us and stripped and sold back to us for triple and at their discretion you know like there's a lot of things that we don't really take heed to and and notice and understand and um i want it to be a conversation start i want people to walk around their neighborhood looking at it differently i want Mm -hmm. people to When they create think about how can we continue to control the narrative of what we create you know that's really what what the project is about it's about gentrification and cultural appropriation and how the two go hand in hand whether we realize it or not so that's uh that that's what it comes down to that's what i want people to get from it if any if nothing else at all that's what i want them to get from it
0: Mm. the record is is really emotional rob and i have been talking about this all week but there are just moments on here where it just you really feel what you're saying. And, you know, so I imagine you talking about these subjects that are very personal to you on the record, you know, it's part of it's therapeutic probably for you, but also it sounds like a large part of it is education. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it sounds like it's important for you to educate other people with the words that you're saying.
1: hundred percent, yeah, because I'm just trying to, I'm trying to pull people on. You know, I, I think there's, like I said, you know, you live in a neighborhood where you see it happening, like I got friends and people around the way that know what's happening, but they don't really understand it or they don't think there's anything they can do about it. Or they don't think there's anything that they can do to try to prevent it or try to make it bust a left instead of continuing to go right or whatever it might be. You know, um, if you don't know, you don't know. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here to help people get in the know with it. You know, people ask me, you know, oh, you know, what inspired the project and what made you want to do it this way and what made you want to go down this road as far as the concept and i was like you know i just got tired that's really all it came from i just got tired if these things weren't going on in my neighborhood and these things weren't going on with our culture i don't know what this album would have been like it would have been a totally the other thing you know what i mean like i just was kind of over it i was like i'm tired of this shit, man and and i just decided to do something about it and as artists you know our voice is our weapon our voice is what we leave and what we impact people with You know, when Curtis Mayfield did everything he did and Gil Scott Heron did everything he did, and Bill Withers. Those were the three artists I listened to the most when I was making this record. Um, Was Gil Scott Heron, Curtis Mayfield and Bill Withers. Aside, you know, from all the jazz that I always listened to, but those, those were the artists I was listening to the most. You look at what they did, you look at stuff like Marvin Gaye, you know, when Marvin Gaye was making records that was in one lane and it was amazing music. But when he said, I really want to bust a left and go this way now, regardless of Motown pushing back, and not wanting to do that because, you know, the bedroom music was doing so well for them. And he pushed back like, no, I got a voice, man. Like, it's, it's our responsibility as people to serve the people. It's our responsibility as artists to serve the people, you know, and take care of that and be the voice for the voiceless and be all of that, you know. So this was my way of contributing.
3: think I just want to first say thank you so much for joining us. Um,
1: oh, man, thank you for having me.
3: It's an honor to to sit down with you. Um I'm thinking about what you just said about uh, just being tired and that contributing to the decision to, to make the album. You've addressed gentrification in, in one way or another in the past in, in several of your songs and a lot of your work, which left me curious about the timing of this album. It yeah. sounds like being tired is is a part of it. Was I hope you don't mind if I ask, was there one particular thing, some event that, that led you there? Or?
1: Not really. Uh, it wasn't like... You know, I got into an argument with a neighbor and I was like, yo, fuck that, I'm about to go in. Like, nah, it, it wasn't nothing like that. Um, It's, it's kind of like a mountain or, or, or you know, and you're chipping away at it. Little by little, little mm. pebbles is falling off and falling off. You know, like, yo, come on, be Like, you know what I mean? Like, this thing was just chipping away every day. It's a little more, a little more, a little more. And you're like, yo, come on. Like, enough is enough. You know, mm. enough is really enough. And I said, when I do this next joint, I'm going. And I had the idea kind of had the idea around when I was making Retropolitan. So my, my theory behind it was, okay, Retropolitan is about saving New York from a musical standpoint, right? Like saving the music in New York, the sound of hip hop, New York hip hop. Like, you know, getting away from what people think New York hip hop is and what they know New York hip hop is and what it's supposed to be, you know? like. New York is sounding this way and the identity is getting, you know, the identity is slipping away and we're becoming other things and we're not representing the city. So I wanted to make sure that I made some music that just saved the sound of the city. But I had moments of gentrification on there. You listen to Homegrown and, you know, you listen to Audacity of Dope. And, you know, there's certain moments, you know, Glorious, I mentioned it a little bit, you know, the Goldilocks, which is screaming over porridge. You know what I mean? Like I mentioned it little by little there. But I, it, was, it was a tester, you know what I mean? It was a tester to just throw it out and see what happens. Like, all right, I'm gonna throw a little bit in here and throw it at them. And, they, and if they if they get it and they understand it and they're receptive to it, I'm really gonna go all the way. So when people was interviewing me about RetroPolitan, they was like, yeah, you talked about gentrification, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I was like, man, y'all haven't heard anything yet. Mm. Like when I'm about to go on the next one. I'm going all the way there. You know what I mean? I, so I already had that in mind. Like I, that was already set up, like that was coming.
3: Yeah. I wanna to move to talking a little bit about the sound of the record. Um, the production on the album is, is beautiful. Thank you. And one of the things that I love about it is how it sort of takes familiar sounds, loops, samples, and flips them just enough to make them like recognizable, but also give you a slightly different perspective. And to me, as a listener, it fits that, the concept really well. Um, mm. You're talking about na- neighborhoods that are changing They're familiar, but they're different um, Mm -hmm. at the same time. And I wondered if that was intentional on your part in choosing the beats.
1: Yeah, yeah, you kind of nailed it. You know, um, for me, the beats always tell me what to do. You know, so I'll have a concept. Say I come up with a concept. You know, uh, let's pick one of the joints. Uh, Let's take St. James Liquors. You know, I kind of had the concept of that kind of being one of the earlier records on the album starting it off and, and, you know, just talking about how my neighborhood was and looking at these two central figures in the neighborhood, one being a guy in the street, one being a guy in the music, not realizing at that age that the two were both intertwined and that they were super similar and probably best friends in the neighborhood. But you got a guy in the street wearing a crown, and you got a guy in the music named Biggie wearing a crown and I'm 13 years old watching both. Now, I, I end these first saying both, uh, 13 with a view of how good a crown fit. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm, I'm watching like, yo, I'm 13, but I got a view of how good that crown fit on you. And I got a view of how good that crown fit on you. Cool. So then looking for the sound for that, you know, I didn't write it ahead of time. Obviously like all my music, I write to the beat. I write on the spot. Hmm. I don't write on the plane. I don't write, you know, at home and then go to the studio. I don't write on tour. I go to the lab, press play, and then I start writing so i'll have a concept but i won't write it until it's time to really sit down and record it and i'm looking for beats and i'm listening to beats and when i heard that beat kenny keys did it when i heard that beat i was like, oh that that's that that's kind of that concept that i've been kind of toying with it just felt like that you know and um even in the beginning like the sample part in the intro you know um in this world of ordinary people extraordinary people i'm glad there's you so it's kind of like i'm saying that to these guys that I'm looking up to as a 13 year old and admiring, you know what I mean? And and the irony of being like, thank God for y'all, but you know, this guy's heinous and this guy is, um, you know, he's one of the greatest poets, but he's speaking about heinous activity. So a 13 year old listening to that is kind of wild. And it's just this juxtaposition of it all. So when I heard that and I heard the intro with all that in it already, I was like, yo, this is nuts. Like, that makes perfect sense. So that's just one example of, you know, the beat telling me what to do, even if I kind of have the concept in mind, but the beat always tells me what to do. I hear the beat and I'm like, all right, this is what this beat calls for. In this world of ordinary people,
3: extraordinary
4: people,
0: I'm glad
2: there's you in this, world. Um.
4: Yeah. All this money that we can make. Um. Why don't y'all
2: just lead the way? Yeah. Do you want to get money and not do it like this? My first viewer,
1: it yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those joints, man, like I'll give the producer what I want them to chop up. I'll give them the sample and be like, yo, chop this up. Uh, let's use these drums. Let's use this drum break from this record. Let's do the bass like this. I'm going to bring my trumpet player in. He going to play. I'm going to call my man Aaron on the keys. He going to play. I'm going to call j on the strings. He going to add the strength. So in a sense, I'm almost co-producing it or producing it myself, but I don't know how to work all that. And the guys that I got, you know, they just magic, you know, with everything that they can do. So I'm kind of just putting it out there like, yo, do it like this. I want it like this. I want it like that. And then, you know, it just comes together um, and it all, it's all a nice, perfect gumbo.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: What you just described in terms of the structure of the sound, it's just reminiscent for me of a time that where hip hop was just, I don't know, it purely genuine. I, I, you know, I think sometimes with production presently when you're trying to sort of bring back that old sound that old flavor you can tell that's what you're doing mm-hmm. and I don't feel that way when I listen to all the brilliant things mm. I think we're the same age I'm 38 I think you are too
1: yep. yeah Wow. Well, you, so, oh, th-
0: <laughs> yeah, you, oh, you look
1: oh I'll take that oh thank you way younger I get told all the time that I look younger too but um yeah you, you look way younger Where well, it
0: I'll take that shit all day. Um, no, but my point is, is that I just, it feels, even though it's reminiscent of a, of a former time, it feels so fresh to me.
1: Thank you. And I think and that's the
0: beauty of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I and I strive for that in my music. You know, well, my music, it's, it's reflective a lot. You know, I, I talk about back in the day a lot. I compare back in the day to nowadays. I talk about nowadays and why they are the way they are because of back in the days and all that type of stuff. But what I don't do is pretend that it's, I don't pretend that we're still back in the day. And I think a lot of artists who make music similar to what I make or try to make music in a similar lane or whatever it might be, when they do, you know, that type of stuff, man, it becomes dated sounding. You know, it sounds like we went back to 92, you know, I don't ever make music that sounds like we went back to 92 because in 92 heads, wasn't making music that sounded like it was 84. You know what I mean? Like it was just carrying that tradition. So no pun intended, they carried a tradition on Russopolitan, but they were just carrying that tradition. So for me, that's what I'm doing. Like I'm carrying this tradition of, okay, if what was popping back in 94, 95, 96 didn't die and it continued to grow and elevate, this is what it would sound like. Mm. like if it continued to grow up Mm. it wouldn't still sound like back then it would be a more mature more polished more refined sound to fit these current times of the music from back then you know it's just if that sound didn't die and it still was the most popular thing in the world and it just continued to grow and elevate and get taller and taller and eat his vegetables and get taller that's what i'm doing you know yeah Yeah. i
0: totally agree with that I think we wanna get into some individual tracks on the album. Um, sure. My first question is um, about, I was supposed to be a trap rapper. I love songs that have two acts, um, mm-hmm. particularly this one where you are literally a trap rapper at the end, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is which is great. So I know you get into it on the song and sort of explain why your career took the path that it did, but I was hoping you could further break it down for us.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I grew up in neighborhoods i moved around a little bit so i grew up in neighborhoods where it was one type of thing you know it was guys outside getting busy the music you listened to reflected that whether it was you know biggie j nas wu-tang you know all that type of stuff and then later on that turned into you know state property dipset and g unit and you know all that type of stuff but notice i didn't name any of the guys who you would think i would name when you think about my music my neighborhood, my friends, it wasn't, you know, we was not listening to all that, but I was. I was listening to State Prop, and then I was listening to the new most deaf Black on both sides. I was listening to, you know, The Locks, and I was listening to Tropical Quest. Like there was this ill tug of war with all that happening. You know, I was listening to Little Brother, and then I was listening to, I'm trying to, you know, Dilla and Mad and Slum Village and all that, but then I was also g it out. I had every junior mixtape and you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. so that's the world i grew up in even at that point i was like in college i was already grown but that's the world i grew up in and none of my friends were on it like that they was on one thing you know Mm -hmm. so i grew up in this world with these guys who do these types of things and live these types of lives and this is the music that represents that if i followed my calling of where i'm from and what i know best and who i grew up around my music would be that stuff you wouldn't hear me rhyming, you know, on the type of beats I rhyme on or making the type of records I make, I would be trap rapping. Because the life that I grew up around and, and what I was in, the circle I was in, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Like I was in a group with Stack Bundles. You know what I mean? Like at 17, 18 years old, we was in a group. So that's the music I'm, I'm supposed to be making. And I love Stack, rest in peace, it's my brother, you know, it's family. But that's the music I'm supposed to be making based on where I'm from, who I'm around, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But there was something pulling me another way. So I was doing both. And I was trying to build this hybrid, which I built. I built this kind of hybrid world of this, but that. That, but this. You know, like I built this hybrid world that I don't really know if anybody did it before me. And that's not trying to be funny. It's just I don't know anybody else who did it that way, who built this, this ill world that's so unique. There's not too many people that you could put in the same realm. But then later you start seeing people attempt to do that. And some of the people are some of the biggest artists we've seen, you know, and I'm like, I know where I know where that came from, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's cool. Some of them have even told me, yo, it was you, bro. It was you. And I'm like, that's real. And if I was to name them, people wouldn't believe me. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. it's like salute. You know, they've told me, yo, it was you. It was you that made this make sense for me, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's what the record is about. And the concept came from one of my peoples who, you know, I've been saying people I grew up around, he had just got home from jail. So he called me while I was in the middle of writing. I also mentioned him on Rich Rhetoric, when I was like, you know, my man caught a bad one, Son, lawyers was fighting, he bidded, came home and called me while I was writing, reunited, like the best song on the second shit! I was writing that song when my man called me, interrupted me writing and he, yo, yo bro, I'm out. I just got out the joint. I was like, oh word, well, yeah, I'm out. Boom, boom. Oh, congratulations. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Cool. So I, I wrote about him in Rich Rhetoric right there, just because it happened in the moment. And it, you know, it made sense. So then later on, maybe like a month later, I'm working on the album and um he calls me. He's like, yo, I'm trying to put some music, you know, I'm trying to put some money into this music shit, you know, into this rap shit, whatever, whatever. And, you know, trying to get on the straight and narrow. You the you the music man out of all of us. You the one that did it. You the one that's making it happen. Yo. I'm going to need your help or some advice or direction or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I got you. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm fucking with the drill, the little drill kids running around New York. I'm doing that. I was like, nah, I dig it. He was like, he literally said, I've been telling this story like 10 times already. He said, I know you be doing the backpack skateboarder, Joey badass shit, but let me know if you can help me with this as far as who to talk to, who to get with, whatever. And I laughed on the phone with him. I said, bro, I never made a skateboard record in my life. You know what I mean? Like, but the, and, and he was like, nah, 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 I don't mean it like that. I'm just saying, you know, you be on the underground hip hop shit, you know, not on the, you know, the drill and the trap and the mainstream shit. And, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't disrespected by it at all. I didn't take it that way at all. The way I took it was for most people, there's a line in the middle and it's either this or that, you know what I mean? Like that's it. It's either this or it's that. Uh, and I grew up in the gray area in the middle, you know, I grew up in between all that. That's what that record comes down to. Hmm.
0: Did being in that gray area give you more confidence when you started rapping?
1: Totally, totally. Because it, it's kind of like if you could do it all, you know? It's kind of like you could do it all. So um, I was able to mess with this world. I was able to mess with that world. I was able to do this. I was able to do that. You know what I mean? So it was like having a one up. It was like yeah. if you could shoot and you could block. It's like being a seven foot shooter. You know what hmm. I mean? Like he could protect the paint and he could block. Then he could go out, you know, and, and 33 feet out, 38 feet out, and just drill all day like Steph Curry. You know, like that's... Mm-hmm. So totally. Without a doubt. I loved it. And yeah. that's why I chose that way. I yeah. could have chose to go one way or whatever, but I chose that way because I was a fan of all the stuff I just named. You know, I'm biggest Diller fan out. You know what I'm saying? I'm, you know, little brother fan. Those are my guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, I chose all that. Tribe Called Quest, Q-Tip is everything. Like, I chose all that. But I also grew up in this world where you know, I know the I could write a movie on the G unit run because I was there for all of it. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, I was there and I was at the mixtape spots every month with my ten dollars getting a new tape. Like I, I was there, you know, so I don't know that many people that's in that world playing like that, like yeah. that can really play like that and accept me.
3: Yeah, it's what gives you that the versatility. That's what makes Absolutely. it possible for you to you to be on a, an Ito record on a J Royale record, but also right. on A1 and quality you know like right and you yeah. sound at home in all blank. Of them. yeah
1: I on, on music for my friends i don't remember the the numbers of the songs but see a key features jada kiss the very next song money makes us happy features black thought and Bilal. bingo
3: there it is yeah.
1: that's it you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. one record i'm talking about having a dream about a kilo because that really happened yeah oh. i had a dream about a key and i woke up and wrote i go to sleep and see a key you're like i had a dream that I was in the middle of something. And then the next record is me talking about the ills of all that and those types of dreams. Money makes us happy. You know, so like, perfect example
2: of it right there. Mm-hmm.
3: I want to ask you about the track Culture-ish.
2: Supreme's over to Billy. Looked in my closet like they should split that with me. Club, you Old for 250, and every face dawned on it, resembling me. All the resemblance made to fit in that frame. Should you even give us a lane or deal with the aims? And that's the energy. Automatic, but based on a semi. I came or high beam. Whichever's litty <laughs> Like either you up under a crown or you taking one. You give me a great bottom, I bet I make me one. <laughs> Suited for it with the time to do it. Recollect on the beauty of it, like a non-lewis. The same beauty, in the love, everything you was listening for. Back when you was first sent the a growth spurt and an itch in your palm, but take you in from the calm and lead you when where you should sit in that storm. The crowd waiting, be a big enough draw. Where you pick up the call, the dial tone the turn into applause, for real. And they just wanna be positioned where you've been. Sorta like how they turned living single the friends, right? Collage that for you to comprehend it and make orange the new black like I was knowledge bennett. They said it's cornerstone calligraphy on high penny and sneak around and hit it. And if I got time to finish, for real, Pour another one.
3: On an album full of songs that have feeling, this track to me carries the most emotion. Absolutely. Um, I agree. And some of that has to do with the production, the horns, the singing. Totally. Maybe the answer to this is obvious, but I- I'm wondering if you think of this song as a lament, if it carries sadness for you.
1: I wasn't trying to make it sad because I don't try to make sad music. It's definitely the most emo feeling record I've ever done because of the beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it knocks and it still swings and shout to Kareem Riggins on the drums. It just swings. And then, you know, um, of course, you know, Monica Blair killed it. And I remember writing that hook and it was just two words, three words for me and you four words for me and you, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and that was it. And I remember telling her like, yo, just, I, I did a reference for me and you and you and you and, and that's it. Like that's the hook because I'm saying so much in the verses is loaded. Mm-hmm. Like we don't gotta say too much on the hook. I just want people to feel it and know that when I'm doing this and what I'm saying is for me and you and you and you and you. Like this is for us, you know. Because if it wasn't, I could make music that's only gonna benefit me. Meaning I could make some shit where I'ma sell five million records tomorrow and da 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 da. But I'm trying to give back in the sense of this is what's important. This is what we need to focus on. This is. This is a real thing that we need to take heed to and we need to pay attention to. And I'm choosing to do all this for me and for you and for you. I'm choosing to break all this down for us. And this is our culture. This is our thing that we built and we need to make sure that we protect it for me and you and you and you and you. So that's literally why the hook is like that. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and she just blacked on it, man. When she sent that back, I was like, Oh my God. Like she caught me on FaceTime playing it. And I was like, what? Like, she she just brought all that home, man, and, and it was beautiful. And I didn't mean to jump in on, on you know, whatever you wanted to ask about the record. No. Um, I feel like I might have cut you off. But um, yeah, man, it, you know, that's, that's definitely one of my favorite records. And that's the last record um, that I wrote on the album. That was the last record I did.
3: Okay. No, you definitely answered my question. I mean, my question was really about what feeling y- you put into it. Um, and it sounds to me like, was less about like sadness for some kind of missed opportunity and more about solidarity.
1: Yeah, that that's when I talk about the album being about gentrification and cultural appropriation, that's the clear cut cultural appropriation joint. I mean right. I talk about cultural appropriation all over the album, that's the clear cut one where you're like, all right, he's literally blatantly talking about this. Right. You know what I mean? Like I started off Supreme Soul for two Billy, looked in my closet like they should split that with me. For every collab T sold for 250 and every face adorned on it resembling me. Like, you know what I mean? I'm literally going for it, like right out the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is a problem. Like, we need to really get in front of this. This is a problem, you know? The same error that skip you until you ghost, then fold hands for you and christen you in a post. You know, the error that they'll ignore you, but then the moment you die, you the greatest thing ever. And, you know, mm-hmm. Twitter and the gram, they, they going crazy. These sites and these, you know, platforms and all that, these blogs, whatever. They'll put out a, a, a three page joint on you today after you die about your genius and how great you was, but they wouldn't post nothing when you was here because you was underground, you was backpack. You wasn't hot, quote unquote, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the moment you die, oh my gosh, he was so underrated and he was so amazing. And she was so this and that, like, it'll be on, you know what I'm saying? Like Kristen, you want to post at the same table, but listen to who they toast. Like these people who are running the culture, who are running these websites, running these things, when you get down to who they are and what they're about, if you have dinner with them at their house, you might hear some things that you didn't think you would hear from them. You might hear them support, supporting some people that you didn't think could be possible because they work in hip hop, mm-hmm. they work in urban fashion, they mm-hmm. work in you know urban film. But when they home with their mother and father, it's a Trump session. You know what I mean? And you're like, wait a minute, you know? So, and, and that's what I'm saying on that. We at the same table, meaning like we in hip hop, we in this, we, you know, we in urban culture and, and all that. So we at the same table, but listen to who they toast, who they giving a the toast to. So speaking of, I took my pistol with me to vote. So I'm, that's a, just a play on words with toast. Mm-hmm. You know, so speaking of, I took my pistol with me to vote. You know what I mean? Like, because now I can't trust heads. You know what I'm saying? So like, when I'm going to vote, which I did, when I went to vote, I brought it with me just because of the world that we live in i was like yeah i'm bringing mine with me because yeah. i don't know how these people are gonna act you know what i mean and it'd be the ones wearing a supreme shirt or wearing a you know a, a boys in the hood t-shirt or whatever you right. know what i mean and you think oh something cool he get it and yeah. then it'll be something you know what i mean so that's that really happened you know so that that's why i went on that hmm. yeah
3: make no assumptions
1: yeah
0: it's interesting that you say that that you you literally brought protection with. You went to, went to yep. vote. I'm reading a book right now, and it's about guns and the civil rights movement. And it starts by talking about this elderly woman who went to vote in the 60s who was like, I don't leave home without my gun. So I yeah. just I just think it speaks to like, I mean, everything that you were saying on this album, but just also to have nothing's changed. So right. yeah, I just think that's powerful. Yeah,
1: thank
3: you. Ian and I were talking before you got on about how Timeless, this record feels and unfortunately some of the, you know, some of the issues that you're talking about are timeless. They've been going on for years.
1: That's the bittersweet part, right? (laughs) I mean, that's the bittersweet part because you're like, Mm -hmm. man, it's timeless. Like you said, but damn, these things shouldn't exist for me to talk about. You know, um, I mentioned something about that way back on the Salvation on my first album, on the opener, the first song. I don't remember the exact line cause it was like, what is that 12 years ago? But, um, something along the lines of if everything I'm saying, if y'all pay attention to it and then it changes, then that means I shouldn't have nothing else to talk about moving forward because it changed, mm-hmm. right? Like all this shit got cleaned up and corrected and fixed. So I shouldn't have nothing to talk about moving forward. I've had nothing but stuff to talk about <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. I, I don't run out of ammo because there's always something to talk about because every mm-hmm. day something's happening in our world that's like, again, you know what I mean? We doing it, we still in this, we still think like this, we still, even if it's not something as blatant as a George Floyd type tragedy or something like that, just really, we still thinking like this, we still moving like this, we still letting these things happen in our culture and our music and what we're about and what we've built, we still getting pushed out of our places, like, absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I understand you being tired.
1: For real, for real, for real. Yeah, I wanted to
3: ask you, uh, Skazu, about Al Scratch. Word up! Uh, you know he pops up on tour of the neighborhood, and I was just curious how that came together, how how you ended up getting him on the
1: that. Was, that was awesome, man. That was a cool story. So, um, yeah, that, that that's a cool story. So, what happened was I'm doing the record, and I had this idea for you know because tour of the neighborhood, and okay, so backdrop, the record is about you take a couple say the couple on the front cover of the album like on the cover is my son and i looking at the building but if you look in the corner you see the kind of the new yuppie couple walking down the street holding it so that was kind of a little easter egg or whatever all right cool so you take that couple or a couple like them and they're walking down my block they're looking at apartments the realtor brought them over they're looking at apartments to move in the neighborhood they heard it was a great place to be and it was the new thing so i'm in the neighborhood giving them a real tour of the neighborhood this is what the neighborhood was like this is what the neighborhood is now becoming, but this energy and these people and these emotions and these feelings and this pride is still in this neighborhood. So if you come in here doing the wrong thing, everything I'm saying the neighborhood used to be, it can quickly become that again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like don't, don't let the, you know, oh, we, you know, we shot an Anne Hathaway movie, which I love her. She's great, but we shot an Anne Hathaway movie over here. They shot an Anne Hathaway Robert Nero movie on my block. Like, uh, I think it's called The Intern. The house mm-hmm. she was living in was across the street from my crib. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I remember when they shot that movie on the block the whole summer, they was out there, you know, and that was great. Robert De Niro's on the block. That's crazy, you know, but just because you see that, that's not what this place was. Mm-hmm. And it can easily become that again if you don't respect and treat this place right. And that's what I'm talking about on the record. So now, fast forward. So I do the record and I just had this idea of come around my way come around my way. And I was like, yo, I got to find the acapella. Let me find the acapella. and have a DJ cut it up and just play it over it or whatever. And I couldn't find it. I'm on a YouTube hunt. I'm on the Googles. I couldn't find it. I'm asking every DJ that I know, all my peoples, nobody got it. Can't find it. Can't find it. My man, shout out to my man, Danny. My man, Danny is at um, Classic Material, shout out to Carlos, mm-hmm. at a Classic mm-hmm. Material store in New York. Mm-hmm. So, Carlos did a collabo with Ill Al Scratch, a t-shirt collabo.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So my man calls me. He goes, yo, I'm at Classic Material with Carlos. They did an Ill Al Scratch uh, collabo. You know, do you want anything? And I was like, oh, word, you know what they got. He's like, yo, you know, they just shirts, whatever, whatever. He was like, also Ill Al Scratch is here. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, they're here. So I was like, yo, I'm trying to do, and I just explained the whole story. You know, the same story I, I told y'all. He was like, yo, you want me to put him on the phone? And I was like, hell yeah. Yeah, (laughs) hell yeah. So he just stepped up. He didn't know him. He was like, yo, yo, Al, boom, boom, boom. My man, Skazoo, boom. And Al was like, yo, I'm a huge Skazoo fan. Yo, let me talk to him. And that was it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we got on the phone, told him how I grew up on the music, and I loved it and all that. And he was like, yo, you really pushing the culture of lyricism forward. You know, like, I, I love what you're doing. Boom, boom, boom. And I brought up the record. I was like, Yo, how can I find that acapella, bro? Like, I need that. Like, if you could send it to me, he was like, Man, we never released the acapella, but he was like, If you want, I could resing it. And I was like, Hell yeah, that's even better. Like, that's crazy to be able to say I had you come in and do it. And like a month later, he was in the lab. He was in Brooklyn in the lab re-singing it. You know what I mean? It was crazy.
3: That's so, incredible.
1: It was it was happenstance, man. Right. Like that. God is everywhere, but some, you know, there's a saying where you say, yo, God was in the room, like God stepped in the room. Yeah. Like God definitely stepped in the room, was like alright child here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and just sprinkled, like, all right, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I got you. Cause come on, what's the odds like of my man randomly, who's not in music or anything, just being at classic material and Al being there, Ill Al Scratch being there. What is that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I could have missed that call. I could have been with my son at the park and missed the call. Like, that was God. Like, you'll hear a whole lot. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah.
0: That shit is amazing. I love that.
1: It was crazy. That's why we do this. Those guys. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: And he sounds so good.
1: Sounds just like back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like back in the day.
0: Come
4: around my way. Come around my way. the neighborhood. Come around my way.
2: Come around my way. Come around my way. Come around my way. Come around my way.
0: show we've often talked about you know the period of hip-hop when the culture shifts and it becomes super commercial and you know starts to sound super commercial and look super commercial you know but despite that there was definitely some underground mcs who were able to successfully start these movements that you know when it gets the grain and offer heads and alternative to the mainstream and i would certainly place you in that category
1: Oh and was, man, thank uh,
0: you. And I was wondering if you consider yourself an MC who paved the way for future artists looking to move in a similar direction.
1: To be able to be a little bit of this, but then a little bit of absolutely, yeah. without a doubt, without a doubt. And I said it, I said it on Trap Rapper. You know, the, the last line of the hook where I was like, but shout to the hybrids who followed on my road. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like when I started doing what I do, the type of music I make and the way I approach my music, Nobody was really doing that. Like I said, it was one or the other. You was either this or you was that. I was telling stories about outside and what was going on over Dilla instrumentals on mixtapes. You know what I mean? Like I said, you know, made trappers go nuts to donuts. Like I was taking donuts beats and rhyming about what happens outside at the spot and my man chopping up on the table and my other man getting bagged by the police and him bailing out. I was doing that on Dilla beats and Knife Wonder beats and Mad Lib instrumentals. You know what I mean? Like. Mm -hmm. Nobody was doing that. And then I was adding trumpets to it, you know, that sounded orchestral. So I was taking this kind of bad boy, 96, 97 bad boy orchestral vibe within hip-hop, because I grew up a bad boy guy. I was putting it on these soul loop, quote-unquote, backpack, I hate the term, but backpack underground instrumentals. And I was rhyming about stuff outside, like Illmatic and Reasonable Doubt and Ready to Die. Like, nobody was doing that. And now you see heads kind of doing that or doing something similar. Yeah. I totally paid that without a doubt. I'm, I'm an extremely humble dude, but I will give myself those kudos on that. I totally did that without a doubt.
0: I'm glad to hear you say that because I was hoping <laughs> I was hoping you, you would do that. for Yeah,
1: yourself. yeah I did that. I burped that credit.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Skyzu, I've heard you talk about how long it took you to finish this album. All the brilliant things mm-hmm. because of, uh, you know, a number of things, you vocal cord surgery. Right. Um, I've heard you m- mention back pain. Obviously, the pandemic, and as a result, I've heard you describe the album as—I uh, think what I heard you say was—it feels like your most complete. And I'm wondering if you think the experience of spending so much time with this record will change the way you approach future projects.
1: Not really. Uh, I've always been a fast writer. Um, you know, I write twenty—I I write sixteen in twenty minutes. I write a song in an hour. Retropolitan took. 11 days the mm. easy truth literally took nine days a to mm. z writing every record on the spot I was writing three records a day you mm. know what i mean like me and apollo go to the studio write three records go get food go to the hotel go sleep you know what i mean like that was that was what I did every day you know um so and those records are incredible you know with this one i don't know what made me kind of slow it down a little bit i don't know it wasn't it wasn't really i guess it might have been on purpose i don't know I would sit there and listen to the beat. Normally, like, i listen to the beat and it'll just come to me quick and I'll just fly. It was coming to me quick, but I was really, like, I would write something down and I would read it, like, 10 times on my phone, just, like, over and over and over. And I'll take, like, one line and be like, all right, the 12th bar, right? If I take that 12th bar, but I make it the 4th bar, I make the 4th bar the 12th, how does that work? Because if I move this here, it was really strategic. It was really, like, piece in a puzzle together with every single record. So sometimes I would sit there and listen to the beat and I'm sitting there trying to write and I would just put the phone down and I would listen to the beat for like an hour and a half before I wrote one word. Mm. So it's almost like I was becoming one with the beat. And if you was my engineer, you heard the same beat for like five hours, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, I'm just sitting there listening and listening. Not because I couldn't come up with nothing, but because everything I was coming up with, I wanted to make sure it represented what I was trying to represent to a T like I may get it, but are they going to get it? Yeah. And if they get it, then are the ones next to them going to get it. And if they don't get it, how's that going to be reflected on them? Who got it for me? Who Like, it was a lot of that, you know, it was a really a lot of fine tooth combing. Crazy. You know, um, I would just sit there, man, for like an hour listening to the beat before I wrote one word, one line, just listening, just kind of becoming one with the record. But moving forward, it's just all organic. So if I'm working on another album tomorrow and I start and I wanna to listen to the beat for an hour before I write, cool, if I'm listening to the beat and I'm so hyped and excited about the beat, I write the verse in 10 minutes, which I've done before, cool, it ain't gonna take away from it because if I don't think it's up to par and I don't think it's killing heads and double entendre out, then I'm not gonna put it out. They gotta still meet my level of what I put on myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah, makes sense but it was a, a different experience. It took a lot longer, but it was a different experience. Um, and, and it was dope though, it was dope. I mean, I, I loved making this album. It, there were a lot of roadblocks though, like we talked about, you know? Yeah. The first week of, of writing and recording, man, I had a back injury, you know what I mean? Like the first week, like you said, and I, I was, I remember recording Free Jewelry because all my albums, the first record on the album is the first song I wrote for it. That's just my thing. Like. It's time to start it, so let's start it. Then moving forward, I make records that wind up going here or here and kind of mm-hmm. out of order. But the first record on the album is usually the first one I wrote for the album. So I'm writing free Jury and my back is excruciating pain. I'm, like, going through it. And then when I got in the booth, I had to lean on the wall and use the wall as kind of like a back brace and mm-hmm. bring the mic closer to me as opposed to being in the middle of the booth, like bringing it to me and lean on the wall like this while I was reading from the phone recording. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean like back pain is the worst pain you've ever had in your life outside of childbirth. I would assume, you <laughs> know what I mean? Like that pain is ridiculous. Like it, it's,
0: yeah. It, yeah,
1: it should be illegal, man. Like back pain is insane, but um, it started with that, you know what I mean? And COVID and then, you know, the pile up on my vocal cord and then my grandma's passing and it was just, all type of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, what the what is going on? Like the last day of mixing, and I talked about it on the gram, the last day of mixing, I'm literally we're done. We're at the finish line. We're doing one more listen through of everything and then I'ma leave with everything on my hard drive and send it off to mastering. And I get to my man's studio and I'm parking along the curb, like on the side, and my tire pierces the, the, the curb Ugh. flat. Boom. I had to call triple a you know what i mean like it was like yo what is going on b like we're done like Mm -hmm. why is this happening but somebody said recently they was like those are the moments where you know whatever's coming out of it is going to be really special because it was such an uphill battle to get there you know so i guess they was right
3: yeah Yeah. i'd say so
0: yeah it makes the end result that much sweeter
3: yeah ready to die all right ready to die i'm ready i mean right. i'm not ready to die but i'm ready i was about to say you're <laughs> ready
1: to die <laughs>
0: i fucking hope not he's like
1: you're um, ready to die you ready he's like, I'm,
0: ready. I'm, like I'm, I'm not you're on another level you're yeah. right.
1: i'm
3: glad i uh, could clarify that man. ready right. to discuss this album with you two
2: i'm ready
4: as i grab the clock put it to your headpiece one in the chamber the safe for the imperial mike ripper girl stripper the henny zipper i drop lyrics off and on like a light switch quick to grab the right bitch and make her drive the cue. 45 blocks and texts are expected when i wreck shit respect is collected so check it i got techniques stripping out my butt cheeks sleep on my stomach so i don't fuck up my sheets but my shit is deep deeper than my grave, g
0: so every episode we spend half the show talking about classic album body of work and hip-hop chosen by our guest and tonight we're talking about ready to die by big this is an, an album that is important to you for a lot of different reasons um just hearing about you know your background i know that you grew up very close to big a block away and i know that just you know, Brooklyn in itself, like he was somebody that was highly revered and, you know, which we'll talk about. But, you know, I just want to start off by asking, what was your exposure to Big before Ready to Die dropped?
1: Uh, Just the guy in the neighborhood. You know, people always ask like, yo, was you cool with Big? I'm like, man, I was 11. Like, there wasn't too many 21-year-olds hanging out with 11-year-olds, you know what yeah. I mean? So like, yeah. not at all. You know what I mean? We was just, my friends and I was just the little badass kids running around the neighborhood who he would, you know, he's sitting there rolling a blunt, like little badass kids acting up. You know, like, that was us. Like, we was the ones running down the block, slap boxing, you walking down the whole block backwards. Like, you walking down the block backwards, slap boxing, boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? Like, so that was us. You know what I mean? Playing ball, splitting a hero, chasing the little girl. Like, that was us. You know, and and him and and Junior Mafia, C's and Kim and all of them, they was outside shooting dice and, you know, drinking Henny and Alize and Heineken's and you know, just cooling out, you know, and, and that was it. And they were the OGs on the corner, you know? So it was just a guy in the neighborhood who everybody knew and was a cool guy. And then one day he's on the radio. And then one day there's cameras in the neighborhood filming a video. And you're like, whoa, what? Like, and you're 11 years old, like, yo, what's going on? And then the album comes out. And then every time he's in an interview, St. James, what up? What up, St. James? And you're like, whoa, that's us. You know what I mean? Like. And then it gets real. You're like, yo, this this thing could really happen. And for me, I was already rapping because I started rhyming when I was nine. So if anybody would make you feel like, yo, that's a dream, that can't happen, the proof right there that it can happen, Duke lives up the block. You know what I mean? Like, we see Duke every day. Like, we would be sitting on the steps, you know, trading basketball cards and, like, cursing each other out as 12-year-olds and little Kim would walk by. You know what I mean? Like, that was normal because Mm -hmm. that was the neighborhood. That was normal. Little season and would walk by. Big would be across the street at my man Hawk crib, and he would come out, and they'd be sitting outside for an hour, talking and leaning on the bends, literally across the street from my house. Like that—that that was normal for us. You know what I mean? We couldn't go over there. Yo, Big, what's up? It was little kids. You know, if I was 16, 17, probably I would have made my way in that circle for sure. But at 11 years old, I, you know what I mean? Nah. But that was normal for us. You know what I mean? So all the inspiration you needed was that.
0: Had you heard, I mean, any of his music before ready to die came out?
1: Um, just the stuff that everybody heard, like, you know, party and bullshit. And, yeah. But you know, the, the, the joint with Pac, the freestyle, you know, yeah. um, and Shaheem, And then, you know, little things like that. Cause it was yeah. different back then where nowadays, you know, you could follow somebody's whole upbringing through SoundCloud.
4: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: I heard him on SoundCloud and then a year later he popped and he had all these records, he was dropping a record every week on SoundCloud that didn't exist. You know what I mean? It, it was like you was on a Ranji tape, and you was on a, a doo tape, or, you know, whatever, and that was it. Like, that that was how you got out, you know? So it was a different a different thing, you know? And then being 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, it was different, you know? Yeah, sure.
3: It sounds like maybe you weren't really old enough to be aware of any anticipation in the neighborhood of,
1: of the album, of Ready to Die. It was a little bit of that, but then also, too, um, well, once he was, like, Okay, so once like Juicy came out and all that stuff, yeah, it was like anticipation, like ready. But if you're talking like before he got the deal, like just being right. the yeah. hot guy, people were talking about as far as that. But before he got the deal and all that, nah, nah, because I was young and like I said, there was no way to get to all that. You know what I mean? Right. The, the the industry was a different type of beast at the time, and the way you got music was so different. You know, um, so when he was working on his stuff, I mean, you talking 93, everything was Wu-Tang. You know what I mean? Like, the Wu was out. Like, they joined that, just dropped, and I was all over that, you know? And in 94, big drop, the end of 94, uh, April was Illmatic, you know what I mean? And it was just like, Illmatic was the soundtrack every single day. Like, mm-hmm. the first time I heard Illmatic, not to change the album, but the first time I heard Illmatic, I was at the Park. I was at PS11 Park, in in the neighborhood, playing ball. And the OGs, and you say OG, but they're like 20. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the OGs are outside leaning on the whip. And you just heard this album the whole time while we played ball. That was the first time I heard Elmatic. And I knew who Nas was because of the radio and TV. But that was the first time I heard Elmatic, mm-hmm. A to Z, playing ball. And it being blasted from the car parked by the fence on the other side of the fence at the park while it was blowing an L and cooling out, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but getting back to ready to die, like it was a similar thing, you know, but we was ready for that. Like the moment that dropped, we was ready. The whole world was, yeah. you know, like it, it was different from Illmatic in that way that it was highly anticipated on the mainstream side of the fence. Whereas Illmatic was hip hop heads like, yo, I'm ready for this Nas. But like the average person listening to hip hop radio didn't know who Nas was because it wasn't getting burned on the radio like that.
4: Right.
1: Outside of New York. Juicy was blasting everywhere, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and now that, that was the genius of what Puff did. And he he talked about that. He talked about it in interviews. They showed that in the movie. It was like, nah, we ain't only going to be popping in New York. And they were talking about Illmatic and all that. Like, you know, we're going to make great shit like that, but we're going to have it everywhere. And, um, you know, Juicy was all over the world. So we was ready. We was ready for that album and the album reason why I picked it, you know, we were talking about on on the email. You know, that album was about my neighborhood. You know what I mean, the whole thing, that's about my neighborhood. All that stuff going on, that was in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's my favorite Biggie album. Like, I love Life After Death. Life After Death is amazing. But for me, it's ready to die because yeah. it's about the neighborhood. Life After Death, he was grown up. He was more polished. He was living a different life. He was living in Jersey and T-Neck or whatever. He had money cars, jewelry, women, success, whatever. Ready to dies about the neighborhood. It yeah. seems
0: to be about the hustle, too.
1: Yeah, 100%. And he was yeah. standing on the corner of Fulton Street and St. James going for it. You know, okay. like that, right in front of the liquor store. Like, th- that was the stomping grounds, you know? Like, I said, St. Yeah, James yeah. Liquors. Like, that was the stomping grounds for him.
0: He seemed to serve as, you just talked about this, but just hope for the neighborhood, you know? like without like- a doubt. An example of what could happen if if you worked hard and you sort of sort of went outside of Brooklyn and and just made it happen. I still like just watching him on you know old footage of him on the Source Awards when he says Brooklyn, we did it. Right. Like I still get chills just because of how he represented that neighborhood and what he meant to the people in that neighborhood. Like it was so, I mean even to me as a teenager, it was yeah. it was blatantly obvious.
1: Yeah, cause we the same age, so like we was looking at it at the same time, and yeah, when that happened, man, like when we, you know, watching the Sauce Awards and he said that, it was like, yo, you know what I mean? Like, because he was talking about the whole borough, but he was talking about the block. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he was talking about the block. Like, and it was like, yo, son is from up the block. Mm-hmm. He goes to the same corner store we go to and get a hero. Goes to the same Chinese restaurant, you know what I mean? Like, he goes to the same pizza spot wow you know what i mean like that yeah as a little kid that's all i needed i was like oh, this is crazy i'm out of here like you know what i mean like i'm on we about to do this you know
3: i was telling e before we started that um i'm a couple years older than y'all so i was <laughs> telling e before we started i feel like my memory's starting to go a bit having trouble with names and details sometimes but this is an album that i know very well mm despite that threw it on this afternoon just a refresher because i knew we were going to talk about it and just like struck me how much of an experience this album is um how like immersive it feels and made me just remember like being drawn in by the stories and this world that that he you know that i have to admit i was foreign to me but uh he painted these vivid pictures of it just feels so unique in that way yeah but i think that's what not to take us off topic, but I think that's what makes All the Brilliant Things such a great record too, is this world that you bring us into, it's a very real place.
1: Um, Thank you. That, that's the point, you know, not not to cut you off, that's, that's the point from what I did and what Big did on Ready to Die, and you know, like, that's the point, like, to take it where somebody who's not from the area doesn't know that world, but now feels like they know it, feels a part of it, feels like they want to they want to see it, they want to get involved, you know, when Snoop dropped Doggy style, we had never been to L.A. Right. We fell in love with L.A. L.A. culture, everything. We fell in love with L.A. You know, when Snoop dropped Doggy style, I think I was 11. Yeah, I think I was 11, 6th yeah. uh, grade. Fell in love with it. Fell in love going to school. Talking about, what's up, like, not even knowing what we're saying. <laughs> not even knowing what we're saying in 6th grade. You know what I mean? But they was doing it, and it sounded cool. Right. Not even knowing the science behind all that. You know, yo, dog, yo, dog, like you know what I mean, like, because it was cool. It was like, yo, that's when you did something, like, brought you in their world, you know. And then Big did that in reverse when when he came when he came back around, and Big did that. Everybody felt like live from Beth Befastava, son, the, the liveest one representing BK to the fullest, and it was like, yo, everybody was like, yo, you hit, and then you just felt like you was right there. You yeah. felt like you were right there, and that's that's what I what I doing my music and when it hits home like you said that's when you know you you achieved it you accomplished that
3: yeah yeah and i don't really think i had a question honestly (laughs) i was just like i was just like reflecting on ready to die i was thinking about your new record and just this immersive experience i really was like ready to die is just one of those albums that sort of unprecedented like there was nothing like it before it and i think it's as a result like there's nothing there's not going to be anything like it again um yeah if i I want to hear that particular perspective i have to go to that album
1: 100 percent. it was movies man like heads was telling stories but the way he was telling stories was just his own way man like it literally was you know he could have definitely did that without a doubt that probably would have been the next call would have been screenplay writing oh yeah without a doubt because it was easy yeah you know, today's agenda. I got the suitcase up in the centra. Go to room 112 and tell them Blanco sent you. They feel the strangers. If no money exchanges. I got these kids at Rangers, the leading kids brainlit. Like, it was, you could see it. Oh, yeah. He got some kids outside and Range Rovers was waiting that if this thing don't go right, they ready to hop out and get to it to make it right. Like, you just see the whole thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every record. And, and that, that was something heads wasn't doing. Had it been done before? Yeah, but was that the popular thing to do? was heads really achieving that no you know and um yeah yeah, he he mastered that master storyteller without a doubt of course slick rick you know the grand imperial you know um but was heads really doing it outside of rick and you know all the time like every record not really you know Mm -hmm.
0: yeah like take give me the loot i mean there's literally a back and forth dialogue about jack and somebody right like he's talking to his partner, like
1: like, like, like you're like you're there watching what, it. What we about to right?
0: Do. Like you're like, what's gonna happen next?
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's a movie, and then warning, and then you know it just right. yeah, going, man. My favorite record on that album is um Everyday Struggle, without a doubt. Mm. That, that's my favorite record. Just how it sounds melancholy without being melancholy, because the drums are so hyping up tempo, but the boom.
4: I'm living every day like a hustle Another drug to juggle Another day, another struggle I don't want to live no more Sometimes I hear death knocking at my front door I'm living every day like a hustle Another drug to juggle Another day, another struggle I know how it feel to wake up, fucked up Pockets broke as hell, another rock to sell People look at you like you's the user Selling drugs to all the losers Mad Buddha abuser But they don't know about your stress-filled day Baby on the way, mad bills to pay. That's why you drink Tangeray, so you can reminisce and wish you wasn't living so devilish. Shit. I remember I was just like you, smoking blunts with my crew, flipping over 62s. Cause GED wasn't B I G, I got P A I D. That's why my mom paid me. She was forced to kick me out, no doubt. Then I figured out this went for 20,000 now. Packed up my tools for my raw power moves. Block 19 for casting flower moves. For Trump's trying to stop my. And what they don't know will show on the autopsy. Went to see poppy. The cop me a brick. Asked for some side, and he wasn't trying to hear it. Smoking mad new ports cause I'm doing court for an assault. And I caught in Bridgeport, New York. Right. Catch me if you can like the gingerbread man. You better have your cat in hand. Cause
1: man. Man, that, if, if there's any record on the album, that feels like my neighborhood. It's that one. Mm. Any record sample. on that one. It feels like, yeah, it feels, that feels like my neighborhood. That feels like my two three block radius absolutely mm.
0: i'm curious to know if you saw the documentary on netflix i got a story to tell what'd you what'd you think about it
1: it was perfect mm. shout out to d-rock d-rock did that d-rock is the homie everybody know who d-rock is and I'm, right. I'm actually cool with d-rock now but he was one of them guys uh he's from like 15 minutes away he's from over by quincy um which is the style but it's it's you know like 15 minutes away from st james um but um, yeah, well, like no, he's like Nostrum, he's like Bedford, Nostrum, Bedford area, right by Quincy. But um, yeah, he was one of those guys, you know, that would always be around and OG do everybody know D Rock. You know his story, you know, he's an OG. And um, man, he knocked that documentary out the park, man. It was yeah. perfect. The best thing about it is that it didn't focus on the tragedy like that at all. Like that was the best thing about it. Because we know that story. Right. and it hurts yeah. to watch it over and over and you know you want to get that part right but it hurts to be like all right so these two was beefing and it was about them going at each other and then it turned into something else and it's like ah here we go you know but um you know i thought it was it was really great in the sense of it just focused on everything else and there was so many things that we didn't know his family yes. his grandparents you know what i mean like it yes it really was crazy
0: yeah, that's what I really appreciated about it. I remember talking to my sister about it when I first watched it and just saying to her, like, know how much I love Big, how much I, like, have studied him. So, like, I went into it thinking, like, what are they going to tell me? I already don't know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I
0: found out
1: so Everything. many different things I did Everything, not know about man. him. Yeah, It was so wild. Like, I kind of want to watch it again. Like, it was so wild. Like, just... The guys he was running around with, like O and all those guys and just like people I didn't even know because they were older and you know what I mean? You're, right. a little yeah. kid. You're 10, 11 years old. You're not supposed to know all that stuff. Um, but when you heard him talk about it on records, my man O and blah, 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 blah. blah. Now it puts a face and a story to the name that you heard about on these records 20 something years ago. It was crazy, man. Like they knocked that out yeah. the park.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: How has Ready to Die influenced you as far as like the way you write, the way you rhyme?
1: Oh, it's everything. Um, there's certain records that you hold a standard to, man. Like you, you, you hold up as like I gotta, I gotta aim for that, you know. Whether whether you hit that notch, you gotta aim for it, you know. So, "Ready to Die," "Illmatic," "Reasonable Doubt," you know, "Liquid Swords," um, even "Doggy Style." Just how well it was put together and just how it flows and how incredible it is. With "Ready to Die," it's the storytelling, it's the lyricism. And bringing people into your world, like how you said earlier, you know, all of those things are what make it make sense. Mm. And I definitely get all that from it, mm. you know, definitely, without a doubt.
0: I think one thing that I was thinking about, I watched the documentary today again, just hearing about his relationship with, is it Donald Harrison, the jazz uh, musician?
1: Yeah, is I didn't know his about name? that either.
0: Yeah, and just I over the years, I've often heard people compare Biggs like cadence and flow to jazz and so mm-hmm. that made sense hearing that i'm like oh okay well maybe he was influenced by him
1: and when he said that in the doc i had never yeah. really thought about it like that until he said it and me being a jazz head who jazz is my life when he said that i was like yo you mm-hmm. just put so much perspective on it and it, it knocked me off my feet mm. yeah
0: same I don't, I feel like we're so over time and I appreciate you staying on with us and and talking to us. This has been so good. So So I think that's a perfect note to end on, but we appreciate you Sky Zoo. This has been so great. Check out all the brilliant things. Um, It's amazing, amazing record. If you hadn't heard it already, is there anything you want to tell people in terms of upcoming things for you, where they can find you on social media, if you want them to find you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, Skyzoo the writer. Uh, Instagram at Skyzoo the writer. Twitter at Skyzoo. And, you know, I, I run all my pages, so that's me you talking to if I hit you back. And just thank you, you know, to y'all. This was a dope sit-down. This, this was uh, a dope evening well-spent, and the dialogue and the conversation was really, really great. I appreciate you guys' perspective and your ears and how you listen and breaking it down and just how you appreciate, you know, what I'm doing and seeing, like, really getting the whole picture, you know, that... As artists, that's what you want, Mm
4: -hmm.
1: especially as lyricists. You know, if you're just doing whatever, you just want it to ring off and get the hit. But, you know, as lyricists who do this for the culture and and the art, it means a ton because that's how, that's our hit record. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you may have a person who they trap rapping and, you know, they records on the radio all day, they got a hit. For us, when y'all get it, that's a hit. Mm like that even if it could be the album cut it could be track 12 whatever when y'all get the album like yo man when you did this and this and this on the record and then you tapped into it that's the equivalent of yo we getting like 100 spins a day in every market like that's the equivalent you know Mm so um so i appreciate y'all i appreciate y'all on that front for sure man and anytime anytime y'all want to kick it you know let's kick it i don't really have anything new or anything else going on because this is so new yeah. So, I'm, I have no plans of making any new music right now. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just kind of kicking back and doing a, a hell of a lot of Zoom interviews and building with people and, and really enjoying people's response and connection to the album. Uh, I have no idea what the next album is going to be about. So, <laughs> we'll see. But, um, show wise, there's some spot dates. LA is coming up in a couple of days, uh, Tampa, Florida is coming up in a couple days, New York in about a week and a half so you know the road is opening up a little bit again We see how it all goes and you know i'm around
3: cool cool
1: Word up, yeah i appreciate the time man shout out to everybody watching and listening and everybody who um who's just tapped into the album everybody who feels the way y'all feel it's been a whirlwind which is a great thing it's been a whirlwind yeah Yeah. it's been wild appreciate it
3: certainly a pleasure we were glad to be able to talk with you and to you know, give you, give you your flowers, your bodega flowers. Like you talk
1: about Thank you, man. on the album. I appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Our, our pleasure.
0: This has been the next movement. Thank y'all for listening. I'm E
1: I'm Rob. And again, I'm Skylar.
2: Peace and love. I was supposed to be a trap rapper, mistaken identity. Sat me with the backpackers, made it all comfortable. Sweet as a redeemer, dunking a blade brown. I'm still leaving with Demeter. Shouts to who came round when I was speaking through your speakers. on wanting to stay down and the beliefs that that would feed us. Like this, turn it that. Return of the pack, where will follow you forever like a murder's test. Front row seats for what you heard in my raps Jumping in and out the ring like an emergency tap I got us, same rule apply Aim, do or die, but put a mirror in front of me To save who's alive Like picture James Baldwin in the room with Frank Lucas's And Nicky Barnes' and all of their influences And in the mood of it, the same color of the magic True to the hue of it, like you were slumping off a habit I was trying to kind of blow it but everyone around me was meeting with Guadalupe's and eating the conduit With a trunk full of reasons to see what you follow through with And bet I understood every dollar they spent to prove it All together from wherever we bound by Same block where they sell you a pack out of crown fried To put me in your deck is like I brought you a crown mine Just as long as you never expect me to downsize Word to immunity and all that it do for me Is double entendres